Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Only Horror Movie Podcast. I am Nick. And I'm Joe. And this is a horror film podcast where uh, Joe, the horror fanatic, uh, tells me, Nick, the uh, the newbie, to go watch a horror film. And I go and I watch that movie. I come back to Joe and we do an episode about it. Yeah. And this week's episode is uh, the 1981 splatter classic, The Evil Dead. Man, I, I can't believe it took me so long to watch this movie. It's one of those like classic horror films that I just never saw. Definitely. Uh, I think it would make probably just about anybody's list of like the all time great horror movies, especially modern ones. I mean, it's just a very, very well done film. And uh Holy shit, gory is a motherfucker, I'll say. Yeah, it's it's absolutely brutal. It's it's uh, w- one of the top uh, goriest movies I think we've done. Yeah, yeah, I think I guess I would say it's it's up there with like what would be some of the other like High Tension I think was pretty. Yeah, High Tension. I mean, I Slither was pretty good too. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, oh, fuck. I know it's like all these like 80s practical effects, but like good lord, it is uh it's it was it's intense. Yeah, and this is one that you know it was. It's like uh, it's another one of these ones that was like it's amazing what they did with like such a tiny budget and such like limited experience and a totally like young team like making it. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the director Sam Raimi was just like uh, twenty when they started shooting. Holy shit! Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, I guess I saw a picture of him now, and he didn't look that old, so it makes sense that he was only twenty in nineteen eighty one. Holy, holy god! Yeah, yeah. He's he's. He's going strong. We'll talk about more more about him in a minute. Right up top, we should probably mention, guys, uh, we'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast. Uh, yes, we would. Rate us five stars. If you're on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, a uh, positive review really helps us out. It certainly does. What else? Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, there's TikTok. a Discord if you'd like to join us. I mean, TikTok isn't really, we're not really doing much TikTok right now, but eventually. Eventually, we'll get back to posting videos on TikTok. Once yeah, we get that. but you can find us. You can find us anywhere. Just look us up, Google us, Spotify us, Apple podcast us, and um, just tell your friends, man, share our stuff. And if you like horror films and you know somebody else that does, tell them about this pod. Or if you're like some of our listeners and you really, you, you're interested in horror films, but can't handle watching them yourself, uh, this is a great way to get to experience them without having to actually sit through watching it. Yeah, this is like a horror sans the gore and the... Uh, the uh, tremendous anxiety that you might feel. Yeah. It was a less scary way to experience the movies. Well, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just been, uh, you know, busy with a lot of music stuff. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if we had, uh, by last podcast, but we finished recording the demo. So that's done. We have three out of the four final mixes. Wow. Uh, this is for my band botched execution, just in case you haven't heard from the other episodes. Yeah uh and yeah kadi Assad's boyfriend mark is doing analog masters for us oh nice i think we're gonna we have one more song to get back from our engineer but he's in japan for like the next two and a half weeks so i think we might just release a single and then the full demo will be out probably early march nice dude that's great yeah so pretty exciting this has been a very you know years in the making totally this just you no know, these four songs but yeah dude that rules yeah what about you man i was uh you uh you feel like you've adjusted to being back in new york I'm back in New York. Yeah, I'm 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 getting there. I'm slowly uh, adjusting. I'm trying to manage my anxiety and uh 
fear of the uncertain. Aren't we all? Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the thing is I, I think I really like in my twenties, I think I, I really felt like that was uh, somehow unique to me. <laughs> um, and then I later found out that everyone feels that way. Uh, uh, people weren't as open about it even just a few years ago. Yeah. I think the pandemic really shifted that a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Um, it's okay. Like things are good. I'm trying to do, you know, I'm trying to get on stage as consistently as I can. You know, I have a few shows booked, um, you know, doing some open mics when I can't get on stage and, uh, and it's okay, man. It's all right. It's just, there's a, it's, you got to climb the ladder again, you know, more stuff to do. Yeah. So like, uh, do you feel like you have to start over every time you come back or is it, you know, like you have to kind of like, it's not starting over. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, so I can like, go to shows and I can meet up with people I know and, um, starting over, like coming to this place, uh, you know, cold, Mm -hmm. um, is a lot. So it's, it doesn't feel like it did back in like 2016. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, what do you mean? Like cold, like temperature wise? Cause it's cold. Oh no, no. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that's a part. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, no, I just mean without any experience or any knowledge or any people. Oh, you're talking about like when you first moved in New York versus coming back, you know, for, I don't know how many times you've been back and forth at this point. It's been a few, but, but the first time, uh, you know, back in like 2016 or something, I was just like, uh, that was, that was tough. Cause you don't know anybody, you know? So you're just like yeah. you know, Googling open mics and, you know, trying to figure out just like reaching out to people who you kind of know, but don't have a relationship with. And they don't really, here's what I noticed about New York, Joe. I will say this. People are, you know, you can make some real friends, obviously, but I, I do notice that people are really focused on their own thing. And Oh yeah. That like that makes sense, but I think it's like this idea of like everybody is just trying to get by. Like in in what way? Like they're just kind of like not interested in what you're doing and just kind of no, like head down like grinding kind of thing. It's a lot of head down grinding thing. It's not that they're not interested and in, but there's like a slight distance. There's like there's there's more of like a I think in like a a place like, you know, any smaller town or like even in LA where things are just more relaxed is like I don't know. I think you have more time to give yourself to people. Um, I can see that. And I think here it's just like every minute people are like really trying to get something done. Mm -hmm. And there's always anxiety and like this fear of like disappearing or something. I don't know. (laughs) Like if you're, it's kind of feels like, uh, I don't know, like if you're not, (laughs) you're not working, you're not existing kind of thing. Like you just like, I mean, I'm just kind of going based off of like how I feel. And then when I talk to other people and it's just harder, I I, I also am acknowledging that I don't have like real, like a best friend or, or anything out here. I don't have like really close friends. Oh yeah. So you, I just just have like some decent, like some good friends, some good friends, but they're all kind of just like busy and focused and yeah. Yeah. Like, is it hard to get people to like just take like time to just hang out and like do things that aren't directly related to whatever. Sometimes. Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. LA is pretty good about that. Like there's like, uh, I feel like one nice thing about the comedy scene here is that people are willing to like, uh, you know, give you their time and like do stuff that is either like not directly related to comedy. Right. Like, uh, lots of parties, lots of just like hangouts with comics and stuff. And like, they'll come to your thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you have like 
uh, a big show or like a, you know, like your one man show or some kind of like special event, like people will actually show up for it. You know, they'll take time out of their schedule. Yeah. Is that harder in New York you find? Well, I don't know. I just, I think I lived in New York for five or in, in LA for five years. Um, you know, made a lot of friends and so maybe that's, I don't know. I really don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. I've also just been back for three weeks and I think a big part of it is just realizing that my closest friends aren't out here. Oh yeah. So it's just, uh, it's just been, you know, it's just, it's fucking lonely, Joe. I I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I have to force myself to like go out to more things. You know, last night I went and I hung out at stand up New York, you know, cause my friend Lizzie was, was hosting the show. So I just kind of went out and held, you know, uh, but yeah. in short, Joe, things are, things are just fine. Yeah. Know? They're yeah. good. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like, you know, I mean, it's a tough city. It is. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's what <laughs> I feel like the, the first thing you think of when you think of New York is like, oh man, that place is just like tough and gritty and merciless. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's good. It's good, Joe. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, it's also got all this amazing culture and all kinds of cool stuff going on all the time. And yes, it does. It's fucking great. Definitely its own vibe. It's the best. I love it here, but um, it does. It is crazy. I was talking to my friend Harris about it the other day and he's like, I, yeah, I don't think like it, does, it wouldn't make sense if you weren't freaking out, you know? Right. He's yeah. Like, it just kind of just I can see that just kind of how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's cramped. There's a lot of pressure, you know, like, yeah. But other than that, everything's good. And, um, you know, I'm happy. I'm just trying to manage my time well, you know. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad you're, uh, you know, adjusting to being back. Thank you. And I think, you know, the more time you spend, you'll probably get some more close friends there. And I think so, feel too. Feel a little more at home, you know. Absolutely. I, I believe it. Do you want to you want to talk about the movie? Yeah, I guess we can get into it. Is there, is there anything else that we need to? No, I don't think so. We talked about my loneliness. I think that's uh, covered it. <laughs> I think I think the listeners will be into that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think uh, we'll make uh, our pal Sam Lindsay feel better to know that you're lonely in New York. <laughs> yeah, I think he will enjoy that. Cool. So the movie is, like I said, The Evil Dead from 1981. It was written and directed by Sam Raimi and produced by Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert. It's got special makeup effects by Tom Sullivan and it stars Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandweiss, Richard DeManicor who is credited as Hal Delrich, uh, Betsy Baker, and Teresa Tilly, who is credited as Sarah York. And I was wondering why they use fake names, but turns out they were just trying to dodge SAG. But Oh, interesting. They got spotted in the movie and fined anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for being for doing a, you know, a non-SAG authorized production. Well, yeah, I mean, it got way too popular. Yeah. That's my guess, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It blew up. Everybody knew about Evil Dead, like, uh, uh, which is cool for a very like low-budget independent movie totally uh the director sam raimi uh he's an american writer director and producer and actor known for the evil dead trilogy uh dark man the quick and the dead a simple plan for love of the game the gift marvel's spider-man trilogy uh drag me to hell oz the great and powerful and doctor strange and the multiverse of madness nice that's just as a director and writer often a lot of those two uh he's produced a lot of movies and tv series that include uh Hercules, the legendary journey with uh, journeys with Kevin Sorbo. Okay. Uh, Xena warrior princess, young Hercules, uh, hard target, time cop, American Gothic, the grudge boogeyman, uh, the video game, evil dead regeneration, the grudge Two, 30 days of night, 
Spartacus, uh, Spartacus, gods of the arena, uh, don't breathe. Ash versus Evil Dead, Crawl, and Evil Dead the Game. Okay. So pretty extensive career. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. He's done more than that, too. I just picked like some of the better known ones or some of the cooler ones. For sure. Raimi was uh, fascinated with films from a young age and made Super 8 films with his childhood friend Bruce Campbell while growing up. Uh, he directed the Evil Dead while he was just 21 years old. After raising the money, with uh, a, a short film titled Within the Woods that they produced for $1,600. Hell yes. I love that, man. Some grassroots, homegrown uh, filmmaking, you know? Yeah, because they're uh, like the Evil Dead cast and crew are all from Michigan. That's great. Uh, You know, they're all like University of Michigan, like theater students and stuff. We love Michigan. Uh, So very like uh, regional independent kind of movie. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, definitely a Hollywood filmmaker now. For sure. But started out super independent. Do you want to save the rest of it for after we go through the plot and everything? Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, you want to move through it? Folks, this is The Evil Dead from 1981, the plot synopsis. As content warning, uh, it gets graphic. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a graphic one, uh, but uh, I think you guys can be okay. It's just words, you know. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but you know, words can summon demons and possess all your friends. That's absolutely true, guys. So, you've been warned. We open on a gray, smoke-filled screen. Blood-red title card reads, The Evil Dead. We see a POV of something moving fast through a misty, bubbling swamp in the woods, complete with overturned trees, roots sticking out of the water, and an old, rusted-out car. Cut to a yellow Oldsmobile Delta 88 driving down a country road in the mountains. Five Michigan State University students, Ashley Ash Williams, his girlfriend Linda, his sister Cheryl, and their friend Scott, and Scott's girlfriend, Shelly. They're all on their way to a vacation at an isolated cabin in rural Tennessee. Which, I mean, I haven't seen a movie where that doesn't end up well, you know? Yeah, an isolated cabin in rural Tennessee. That's where I think of having a good time. For sure. These days, though, I mean, it must have been more common to to come across a real uh, shitty little cabin without Airbnb, you know? Yeah. Because it's not like they had pictures and stuff or the internet. Right. Yeah. It's wonder like how, you know, how do you like being from Michigan, just find a random isolated cabin in Tennessee to stay at for the weekend? Right. Yeah. He's got to take some creepy old guy's word for it or something. It's just like, you know, did you go to the yellow pages? Like, what did you do? Just like, yes. Is there somebody, somebody had a directory somewhere of like rentals? Like, I don't know. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't really say that he he got it from a, a friend or anything, right? It's just kind of a yeah, yeah. It's just like uh, some guy. They said he's like, you know, got a real good deal on it. You know, that's all you need to know. Yeah. And then that opening shot, I want to say, really sets the atmosphere of that camera moving. Like the way it moves through the woods is real weird. Like you would never, mm. it was never really seen in a movie before that. Right, right. Like the the way the camera moves around in this one. Very innovative. All right. Scott and Shelley are singing an annoying song as we cut back and forth between the car and the POV of the unseen entity moving through the woods. They've just crossed the Tennessee border. They've just crossed the Tennessee border when a big red truck nearly runs them off the road. Scotty complains about Ash's car as they pass a few locals waving to them on the side of the road. Those locals, uh, of course, are played by Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert. Oh, hell yes. Uh, Tappert is credited as local yokel in the credits. Wonderful. Which is uh, something that I referred to one of the characters in The Mist as, if you guys remember. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah. The guy, what's his name? Yeah, it was a uh, Myron. Yeah, Myron, <laughs> that's right. Jim and Myron. I didn't realize that was what they actually credited the character as, though. I didn't know I was stealing that from Evil Dead. So Scott yells at them to to go to hell as they pass by. Why does he do that, Joe? You know. Just mean to these people? <laughs> no discernible reason. Just to be a dick, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just because he's like, you know, I don't know. They're like early 20s, like late teens, probably. Like, Yeah, it's probably... Um, yeah, maybe it's just for the fun, you know. I don't. My friends and I wouldn't. We were that age. Would like uh, sometimes drive around at night and just heckle pedestrians. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. You know, just drive by some guy and you know, like, hey, you show me that dick, and then drive off and laugh. Yeah, that's that. Those are the days, man. Yeah, we had some people freak out and try to murder us and stuff. It was fun. Yeah, dude. You gotta terrorize strangers, or you're not living a good uh, childhood. So they discuss the cabin. Scott says the place is real old, but they got it cheap. A sign warns of a dangerous old wooden bridge ahead. And as they cross it, Ash tells the girls not to worry about the bridge. He says it's solid as a rock, but then one of the tires breaks through some old rotted boards. So not so much solid as a rock. It's eerily quiet as they near the isolated cabin. They park out front and as Scott approaches, the group waits by the car, noticing the porch swing moving on its own. And it suddenly stops the moment Scott reaches for the keys. Yeah, pretty eerie. Pretty eerie, folks. Just this porch swing, swinging with no discernible breeze or anything. It's just swinging and just silently just stops. It's, it's a weird moment. It's a weird moment. The inside of the cabin is old and dusty. Out back, Scott finds an old tool shed full of rusty tools. From the ceiling hang skulls, bones, and parts of dead animals. Uh, which he doesn't really clock too much, right? He's just <laughs> No, he's just like, ah, uh, the country. Yeah, normal. Got a good deal. Mm -hmm. Later, Cheryl is inside drawing a picture of the clock on the wall. Suddenly, the clock stops. A wind blows the curtains, and she hears a faint demonic voice tell her to join us. Her hand becomes possessed. It turns pale and begins tearing the paper as it scrawls a picture of a book with a, a distorted face on its cover as the trap door to the cellar begins to rattle. Yeah, that cellar door is just... uh wild looking it's a crazy cellar door just in like the middle of the living room it's just like got this like chains that like chain it shut with yeah it's on the floor and it's got these chains on it and it keeps kind of like rattling and lifting up and down uh pretty unsettling cut to a close-up of a blender full of red liquid at dinner ash stands up to give a toast saying some gibberish and then scott translates it to mean party down yeah another one of those great 70s 80s parties with five people yeah dude in a fucking isolated cabin with dead animals hanging from the ceiling uh in the next room the trap door to the cellar flies open on its own everyone gets up to investigate unsure of what caused it scott heads into the cellar to check it out some time passes and as they don't hear anything from scott ash heads downstairs to look for him the cellar is big and dark. There's water dripping from some pipes and no sign of Scott. Ash hears something fall on the other side of the door. Inside, he finds a room with gourds and other things hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, just more weird stuff just hanging, like strung up from the middle of the ceiling. Yeah. As he's looking around, Scott pops out of the dark and scares him. Ah! Uh, he goes on to show Ash some stuff that he's found. There's an old double barrel shotgun, which he points directly at Ash's face. And another hilarious joke. Scott, he's just got, he's just got the, the best sense of humor. Really funny guy. That old classic joke of pointing a, a possibly loaded weapon at your friend's face. Yeah. And just yelling at random people to go to hell. Yeah, this guy rules. So there's a torn 
nearly concealed poster for Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes hanging on the wall, an old leather-bound book that appears to be made out of the skin of a human face. The book is full of creepy drawings and weird hieroglyphics. There's also a dagger with a handle carved from the bone that features a screaming human skull that Scott says looks kind of like your old girlfriend. Hilarious burn on Scott's part. This guy cannot be stopped. He should do stand-up comedy. That's what I was thinking about Scott when I watched this movie. I was also, I actually thought that was going to be part of the plot, you know, that he was going to go to an open mic. Uh, There's also a reel-to-reel tape recorder that he's found. So we cut here to a shot outside of the cabin. Lightning strikes a tree as black clouds wash over the moon. Back upstairs, they play the tape recorder, hearing the voice of an archaeologist, a man named Dr. Raymond Noby, describing finding a book in an ancient Sumerian ruin. Noby says he and his wife have come to a small cabin to allow him to do his research undisturbed. The book he's found is called The Naturum de de Monto, a.k.a. the Necronomicon, roughly translated as the Book of the Dead. I see. I always thought they referred to it as the Necronomicon throughout the whole series, but they call it the Naturum de Monto in the first one. And then it's referred to as the Necronomicon through the next two sequels. Interesting. Yeah. The only thing I know about the Necronomicon is uh, it was mentioned in um, one of the, the anthology series we watched, I think like the Tales of Halloween or something. There was a Necronomicon just on a shelf or something in mm-hmm. the segment where the little weird alien possesses the girl, then fights the big yes. slasher guy. Yes, yes. That's the only place that I remember. But I remember you mentioning that it was from this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 references in that particular segment too. Bound in human flesh and inked in human blood, Nobi says the book deals with demons, demon resurrection, and those forces that roam the dark forest of man's domain. The recording warns that the incantations in the book may resurrect the demons and give them license to possess the living. Definitely should read that book. Yeah, you should definitely read it. If there's a thing like that, you always want to just fuck around with it. Crack it open, see what's going on in there. Fuck around and then find out what happens. At this point, Cheryl reaches down and turns off the tape recorder. Scott turns it back on, and when he does, Nobi begins reciting Sumerian incantations. Uh, we see something glowing bright red begin to emerge from the ground in the woods as Cheryl screams for Scott to turn off the tape recorder. When she does, a tree branch falls and breaks one of the cabin's windows. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, not looking good. Like, yeah, I would say the lesson you want to take from this is don't play the tape that recites the demonic incantations out loud. Yeah, I think that's a fair lesson. Yeah. Uh, Later, Ash and Linda are getting ready to go to bed when Linda goes to check on Cheryl. When she returns, Ash is pretending to be asleep while holding a small gift box in his hand. She takes it and inside she discovers a silver necklace with a circular pendant containing a glass lens. She tries it on. They kiss as something watches them from outside. Yeah. Weird looking little necklace, too. I always thought, like, that's a strange gift to give somebody. It's a strange gift, and she doesn't question it at all. It's one of those things that if you got it, I'd imagine as a woman, you'd be like, what is it? Yeah. You'd be like, thank you for this. It looks like it's like a little, uh, yeah, a little like magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. Um, She tries it on, and they kiss while something watches them from outside. It moves around outside the house watching as Ash and Linda go sit by the fire. It continues to move outside, watching Scott and Shelly undress, and then on to Cheryl in a bedroom brushing her hair. Yeah, you're just seeing a POV from outside the cabin moving around, creepily watching everybody. Really just an untrustworthy POV. 
you know? Yeah. You just don't, you can't trust that whatever this thing is. No. This isn't someone that has been introduced. No, there's no, no person outside that we know of. Oh, we know that. So she looks at the drawing of the book as a demonic voice whispers, join us. Cheryl goes into the woods to investigate, as you might do in this situation, Joe. Yeah, I think, you know, young women are constantly wandering out in the woods in a bathrobe to investigate the creepy voices coming from outside. Right. By themselves. Yeah. You know, they, they're so curious and they just, they usually like to go solo. Why would you bother anyone with this? Don't want to be inconvenient. Everyone's sleepy. Don't even bring a flashlight. Don't need a flashlight. She calls out, but the woods are quiet and a fog is rolling in. Cheryl walks further into the woods, believing that someone is out there messing with her. <laughs> There's got to be. It's got to be just some friend. Yeah, just some some real hilarious prankster like Scotty just doing a demon voice out in the middle of the woods. So she hears a tearing sound as we cut to the POV of something unseen moving through the woods, knocking down small trees in its path. And this thing is like flying through the woods, too. It's like, yes, coming through the woods, like very like fast and at like weird angles. Yeah, like it's the like it's the like it's the uh, POV of like a spirit floating through the woods. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, tree roots begin to come up from the ground, slithering towards Cheryl and climbing up her legs and underneath her robe. The roots begin to wrap around her hands and neck, binding her and tearing at her clothes. They rip through her robe and begin to tear at her skin, leaving her on the ground in just a short nightgown. One of the roots slithers up her legs, tearing at her exposed breast before the roots pull her legs apart and a large branch flies like a spear towards her crotch. Cheryl struggles helplessly as the demonically possessed trees continue to violently assault her. Yeah. Yeah. Those. This is one of those things where it's like, did we just see someone get tree raped? Yeah. 10 minutes in and we've got a tree rape scene. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unique. I'll give it that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that had ever been put in a movie before. No, there is a moment while watching this part of the film where you're like, uh, kind of unsure. You're like, is this tree penetrating this woman? Yeah. Uh, which is fun. Yeah. And absolutely uh, horrifying and disturbing, too. Uh-huh. So eventually she frees herself from the roots and branches and runs towards the cabin. We see a POV of the unseen entity chasing her through the woods and knocking down trees in its path. Seems to be quite powerful. She returns to the cabin, barely making it inside before the entity reaches her. Dirty, bruised, anguished, Cheryl tells the others that the woods themselves are alive and attacked her. The group, in classic horror film fashion, do not believe her, Joe. Yeah. I mean, you know, she probably just went out and rolled all around on the ground and a bunch of dirty leaves on her own. Yeah, she's having a psychotic break, and uh, why? You know, don't believe all women in horror films. Believing women was not a thing back then. This was the '80s, folks. Uh, Ash agrees to take her back into town because she's begging for it. Right after struggling to start the car, they leave, only to discover that the bridge to the cabin has been mangled by something and is completely destroyed. Yeah, it looks like it's been ripped out by Godzilla. Yes, it's it's exactly what it looks like. They did that using like uh, miniatures too, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, classic. I think yeah, and I think that shot of the cabin with like the, the like the moon in the background, the clouds rolling in and stuff too, was done using miniatures as well. Hell yeah! Cheryl panics and screams at Ash as she realizes that they are now trapped and the demonic entity will not leave them alone. 
Back at the cabin, Ash listens to more of the tape, learning that Dr. Noby's wife was possessed, and the only way to kill the entity is to dismember the possessed host. As Linda and Shelly play spades, uh, Linda is incorrectly guessing the cards that Shelly holds up while Shelly... So Shelly's like holding up cards that Linda can't see, and she's going like, uh, you know, seven of diamonds, and it's like a queen of hearts, and she's like, yeah, wow, you got it. Uh-huh. And Linda's like, I think I'm like psychic or something. Right, yeah, yeah. And across the room, Cheryl begins to correctly guess out the cards without looking at them. Her voice is distorted, and when she turns around, her skin turns pale and her eyes have turned yellow, and she begins to levitate. In a raspy, demonic voice, she demands to know why they disturbed her sleep and threatens to kill them all one by one before collapsing to the floor. Yes, Cheryl does not look good. She looks like full on like fucking demon possessed already at this point. It's pretty rough. She uh, is clearly possessed. And uh, what I notice in this movie is there's a lot of most of the people don't want to believe any of this stuff. Yeah. Real denial. Uh, Even though it's been kind of like very explicitly stated in the book what's happening. They're kind of like, no, fuck that. No way. Yeah. She's just, she's just levitating into the air for no reason. Uh Yeah. And they're like, it's gotta be some kind of practical prank here. Cheryl always speaking in a disembodied demon voice with her yellow eyes. She does do this. It's her bit. Uh, So Linda and Ash approach and the motionless Cheryl suddenly stabs Linda in her ankle with a pencil, digging it in and twisting before throwing Ash into a shelf that falls on top of him, pinning him to the floor. And boy, that fucking ankle stab is brutal. We hate an ankle stab here on the podcast. It is not a pretty sight. And she's just fucking digging it in like it's long. It's not like it just gets stabbed and left in there. It's like fucking digging it and twisting it. Like Yeah, I'm pulling on it. It's really nasty. And it's one of the worst things to see in a horror film is to see an ankle be mutilated. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's rough. Uh, Cheryl gets up and walks toward Ash, pencil in hand. She shoves Scott out of the way, but he ba- he gets back up and knocks Cheryl into the cellar uh, with the butt of an axe and chains her inside. So she's now locked in that uh, downstairs cellar. Yeah. Later that evening, all is quiet as Ash tucks Linda into bed as a demon possessed and parentheses known in the franchise as deadites, uh, close parentheses, Cheryl, right? Yeah. Snarls at everyone from the opening of the cellar door. Yeah. So the, cer- the cellar door, it's like chain shut, but it still opens like four or five inches. So, right. She's just peeking out like Scott tells Shelly to go get some sleep. But when she heads into the room, the entity from outside crashes through the window as she screams. Scott goes to check on her, finding the window broken. He looks outside but doesn't see her. He hears a noise in the closet, but there's nothing there. And he goes to check the bathroom. He pulls back the shower curtain. Again, there's nothing inside. As he turns around, a deadite Shelly's hand reaches up from nowhere and grabs him by the neck as she digs her nails into the side of his face. Scott comes stumbling out of the bathroom, screaming with Shelly attached to him, clawing at him with her legs wrapped around his waist. He throws her off of him into the fireplace, setting her head on fire. Yeah, she was just latched on like a rabid koala or something and just tearing into his face. It's intense, man. She's like, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, straddling him from the from the back mm-hmm. and just fucking going at him. Uh, Scott pulls her out of the fire by the legs because he's kind of like, you know, they, they don't. Again, this is another denial thing, right? They're like, well, she's screaming for her life and we don't 
you know, it could still be her, you know? Yeah. And you don't want to just leave your girlfriend's head in the fire. No, I try not to. Yeah. So Scott pulls her out of the fire by the legs. Uh, the burnt and blistered Shelly thanks him in her demon voice as Deadite Cheryl watches from the basement. Shelly attacks Scott again, of course, and swats Ash away as he tries to intervene. Ash is what's what I like about this movie is most of the time Ash is just getting his fucking ass kicked. It's interesting because in the sequels, he becomes like the super tough guy, like almost like 80s action hero style by Army of Dark. Like, right. <laughs> yes. Midway through Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. But in this one, he's just a wuss. Right. I knew that like watching the uh, like seeing all like the screenshots from like different movies and like different clips and stuff. I always knew him to be like a badass. But what you realize when you're watching this movie is that you're like, it's it's a series of like because he's like a good dude. He's a really good guy. Yeah. He doesn't want to like hurt any of his friends. He doesn't want to like he doesn't want to be violent in any way. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like the this this movie is like a series of just like breaking down these walls and these inhibitions and forcing him to like become kind of a crazy fucking bloodthirsty dude. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely like is a different person by the end of this yeah so um a lot of things fall on top of him throughout the movie something i noticed oh yeah i read that actually he got uh, he threw himself into that bookcase it wasn't supposed to fall on top of him but it did god damn there's a lot of that and also when uh like uh when cheryl gets kicked down into the cellar mm-hmm. it was either her or betsy baker one of them gets like thrown into the cellar yeah uh and they had to shoot multiple takes and there were no stunt people on this shoot at all god so Fuck. one of the takes, uh, it was either Ellen or Betsy who like nailed their head on the on the fucking edge of the the trap door to the cellar. Shit. And like, yeah, there's so many injuries. Like this is a, a brutal, like just pretty miserable shoot for almost everyone involved. Like, God damn, that's what happens. They kind of tried to maintain morale, but everyone was suffering real hard during the making of this movie. Yep, that's why the unions. Uh, that's why we have them. So. Shelly starts uh, pushing Scott towards the fire and then grabs the Sumerian dagger and tries to stab him. Scott reaches for the hunting knife clipped to the back of his belt and begins to saw off Shelly's hand. She throws him off and begins to chew on her own hand. She chews it off. It drops to the ground, still clutching the dagger. Scotty grabs the dagger and then stabs her in the back as she screams. Blood begins to pour from the mouth of the skull on the dagger's handle uh, as Shelly gropes for it trying to remove it from her back before sinking to the floor and spraying white liquid from her stump arm and her mouth. Yeah, it looks kind of mil- milky. like. Yeah, so this is kind of part of where the movie starts to get real uh, gross. Yeah, just uh, keeps escalating. Lay- it really does. She lay motionless, but as Scott approaches, she reaches up and grabs him with her remaining hand before shooting up to her feet. Scott yells for Ash to hit her, But Ash stands frozen in fear, clutching the axe. He's not doing anything. So Scott grabs the axe from Ash and begins to hack hack away at Shelly, chopping off her hand, her leg, as the camera lens is soaked with blood, turning the entire scene red. We cut. Fucking brutal, especially for 1981. Like, I don't think people have seen that particular type of shot before. (laughs) No, no. He just, he just relentlessly. He's just chopping her apart, like chopping her up and just fucking blood. And our lead hero, Ash, is just kind of watching in horror. Yeah. By the way, that, uh, the dagger, the skull dagger, Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have like prop daggers. So these were actual like sharp knives that they were using too. (laughs) Jesus Christ. 
That's good. Um, yeah. So you're watching people actually try, like, avoiding trying to be literally stabbed by these fucking things. That's incredible. So we cut and we see Scott and Ash look on as Shelly's various body parts quiver on the floor. So now we've just got a pile of body parts. We've got a torso, a head, a leg, an arm. I mean, he hacked this woman apart. Yeah, and it's really like uh, it's done. Like the special effects are like they're like really pretty DIY makeup effects. And then there's like some stop motion stuff, too. Yeah, the head's just kind of like twitching on the floor. And mm-hmm. um, so they carry her remains outside in a blanket and bury them. Inside, Scott decides he's leaving to get help and goes off to look for a trail through the woods. Ash decides to stay with Linda, and the possessed Cheryl mocks him from the cellar. He checks on Linda's ankle, but as he does, he sees the infection rapidly spread up her leg and spiderweb before she sits up in the bed, possessed, letting out a high-pitched maniacal laughter. Ash runs to the other room and outside the front door, looking inside as a bloody, wounded Scott collapses into his arms. Ash carries Scotty inside while dead-eyed Linda sits cross-legged on the floor, smiling and giggling at them. Yeah, she's giggling like a little girl in like this super high-pitched, creepy voice. Yeah, she's sitting like a child, like a like a kindergartner at story time, you know. And she's just—it's very demonic, child laughing, very creepy. It's super fucking disturbing. Yeah, her head's just like tilting at these weird angles, and like, and her eyes are white. They use thick slabs of plastic. To get that that eye look. Really? Just shoving like thick, like, you know, quarter inch thick plastic lenses into their eyes. Oh my God, dude. That were like apparently absolute torture to wear. And they couldn't. Of course. <laughs> All right. Um, so Ash sits uh, Scotty on the couch and Scotty begs Ash not to leave him, saying he doesn't want to die as Cheryl mocks him again from the cellar. She's like, hey, I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got her own creepy ass voice. Yeah, so it's a lot going on here. You know, like Cheryl's mocking from the cellar. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Linda is is laughing like a child. Yeah, they're both like full on possessed deadite mode. <laughs> like, Yeah. Scott sits bleeding and delirious on the couch, warning Ash that the trees will not let them escape alive. Linda and Cheryl continue to laugh maniacally as Ash begs them to shut up. He starts to hit Linda, but only laughs more with each swing so he's kind of just slapping her back and forth yeah really slapping her backhand in her and she's just and this is the most violent he has been throughout the film so far yeah and the giggling just gets more intense with each each hit yeah ash points the shotgun at linda asking god to forgive him before she looks down and then she looks back up as her normal self crying and begging him to help her yeah it's that's a weird thing too like they just got like they're just totally normal all of a sudden mm-hmm. uh and she goes to hug him and sh- and he promises not to let them take her again then he hears Cheryl speaking from the cellar in a normal voice, saying that she's all right. And she asks to let her out of the cellar. She's okay now. She's also no longer peeking out, which is creepy. She's just speaking from a closed cellar. Yes. Yes. Uh, he goes to unlock the chains, but when he does, possess Cheryl's hand breaks through the, the floor and grabs him by the neck. He manages to break away, saying, you bastards, why are you torturing me like this? Why? Before possessed Linda begins giggling on the floor behind him. She's sitting down, twisting her hair before she starts chanting, we're going to get you. We're going to get you. Not another peep. Time to go to sleep. In the voices of a chorus of demonic children. Yeah, now she sounds like a bunch of little kids. 
Yes. As uh, Ash grabs her by the feet and drags her out the door as she laughs and begins ranting at him in a deep demonic voice. Yeah. By the way, when he was dragging her out, he really fucking dragged, like just dragged her right off the edge of the porch with like a thud. Like, wow. Very rough. Again, no stunt people on this. That's incredible. I love I love these people. He leaves Linda outside writhing on the ground and he goes back to check on Scotty. Ash tries to give Scott some uh, some water but he's unresponsive on the couch. He hears a howling outside and he goes to look out the window for Linda, but she's not there. Suddenly Linda attacks him out of nowhere, stabbing him in the arm with the Sumerian skull dagger. She licks the blood from her blade and goes to stab Ash again, wrestling with him and throwing him across the room into Scott. She attacks him again, but he kicks her across the room. She raises the dagger again and Ash grabs her arms while Cheryl grabs his ankle from the cellar. Linda laughs maniacally as Ash shoves her down on top of the dagger, causing her to impale herself in the back. She spits up white liquid, that white liquid again. Yeah, nasty milky stuff. Oh, yeah. She screams and writhes on the floor before lying still. Ash drags Linda's body outside as Cheryl watches and Scott lies dead on the floor. He goes to the tool shed, switches on the light, and in a series of close, fast cuts, chains her to a table and prepares to dismember her body with a chainsaw. Yeah, this is a uh, particular like this is like this scene is like one of Sam Raimi's signatures, like the shed scene. Mm. It's like these like like close like zooms mm-hmm. and like fast cuts on like like objects and like it gets even more exaggerated in the sequels too. Well, who's the the British director who's like known for doing those fast cuts? Uh, Edgar Wright. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did that. That was like a tribute to Sam Raimi. Oh, nice. Like those like they do it in Shaun of the Dead, like they're in the when they're like tooling up like. That's great. Yeah, it's like one of his signature things now. Mm -hmm. He sees the silver chain on her back and he is unable to go through with it. Instead, Ash cries over her body and goes to bury her outside. As he digs, Linda's eyes open momentarily as Cheryl pounds on the cellar door inside the cabin. And this is a um, this is a callback. It's actually something we didn't mention in the earlier part of the movie. But it's a callback to how Ash um, actually gifted that little charm to Linda because he was lying on the couch and uh, and he was pretending to be asleep. And then when she was not looking, he would open his eyes. And when she would look back, uh, he would close his eyes. Yeah, it was like a little game he was playing. A little game he was playing. So now she's the demon. uh, Linda is playing this game with him. Oh, yeah. I didn't make that connection. But yeah, it totally is. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. So he lowers her body uh, into the ground and we see a POV watching from inside the grave as Ash shoves shovels dirt onto the camera from above. He finishes the job marking Linda's grave with a crude wooden cross. Yeah, it's a fun shot. You're just like watching what it looks like to get buried. Yeah, I love those shots. It feels nice to think about, you know, he goes to reach for the silver necklace and her hand shoots out of the ground and grabs him by the foot. She bursts out of the ground and attacks him, shredding his leg above the ankle. He grabs a huge wooden beam and begins to beat her with it, but she only shrieks with laughter. And she really clawed at that fucking leg, man. Oh, yeah. His leg is completely just torn to shreds, like mm-hmm. like meat that just got ground up. Mm-hmm. And then that beam that he was swinging with was like they got that at like a Sears or something and it was an actual wooden beam. Of course it was. That like, you know, Bruce Campbell and alternately like Sam Raimi and one of the other people involved were all swinging at her from different angles and she got like uh conked on the head pretty good at least once. That's fun. That's great. Yeah. I'm happy for these people. Yeah, she's the uh, Betsy Baker who played uh 
Linda like said she had multiple head injuries God damn. on the set. So Linda throws Ash to the ground and begins to levitate towards him. She goes flying through the air to pounce on him when he grabs the shovel and decapitates her. Her headless body falls over on top of him, squirting blood all over his face as it tries to rape him while her disembodied head snarls and screams on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, a lot going on here, folks. Yeah, that scene also like where she like jumps at him and like it's shot from below. It looks like she's kind of like flying over. Right. That became a thing that got used throughout uh the Evil Dead series and a lot of other Sam Raimi's other stuff too. Nice. There's like so many uh like super innovative shots in this movie that had just never been seen before. Wow. It was pretty cool and it's been very imitated a lot since. That's great. So he manages to escape as Linda dies and then retreats back to the cabin. Back inside, Ash discovers that Cheryl has escaped the cellar. Oh, no. The door to one of the rooms slowly opens and Ash goes inside with the shotgun to look for Cheryl. She pops up from outside, reaching into the window and grabbing the barrel of the gun. As Ash manages to shoot her in the shoulder, but she gets back up spewing blood, but otherwise unfazed. He runs to the front door, trying to push it shut against some invisible force that's holding it open. He manages to get it shut just as Cheryl sticks her hand inside. He smashes her hand with the gun barrel and closes the door and then turns to run to the back door, slamming it shut. Ash heads to the cellar to look for the box of shotgun shells and slips down the stairs uh, on his badly shredded leg. In the cellar, a large pipe appears to be leaking blood, tied in place with some shredded old clothes. As Ash looks at it, the pipe bursts, spewing gallons of blood all over him as blood begins to leak from the electrical sockets in the walls, filling up a light bulb overhead with blood. Suddenly, an old wooden record player starts to play on its own as an old film projector turns on, blinding Ash uh, as blood begins to leak all over the lens, bathing him in red light. He hears Linda's voice chanting, we're going to get you as he finds the box of shotgun shells, loading the gun and putting a few shells in his shirt pocket. The projector is covered in blood and it starts to smoke and then explodes in a burst of sparks as the light bulb above pops and the record player dies. Ash heads back upstairs, bruised and bloodied and carrying the shotgun. Yeah, such a great scene in the cellar. It's just like the. All those ideas, all the blood leaking out of everything and the blood on the projector look, looks it just looks so cool. Yeah, so much action here in this scene. And now he's really fucking, I mean, he's on the edge here, man. This is, this is it. He's losing it. Mm-hmm. The bells from the clock on the wall start to ring as the arms spin around rapidly. The pendulum starts to make crashing sounds as it swings back and forth. We see an upside down shot of Ash from behind as the camera tilts over his head and back down to his face. He goes to look down the hallway and we see a POV of the unseen entity coming for him. He slams the door behind him. And when he does, uh, the shutters begin banging open on their own. And we see a series of dizzying close-ups as Ash stares into the mirror at himself. He reaches towards his own reflection and is surprised when the mirror turns to liquid and his hand goes right through it. He begins to scream, kind of like his hand has been burned or something. And he hears something move outside and shoots out one of the windows. He leans against a door, shaking and covered in sweat as he nervously reloads the gun. Ash hears footsteps on the roof before reaching into his pocket and finding Linda's necklace. For a moment, everything is still. But then a pair of hands breaks through the the wooden door and grabs his face and a demonic voice says, join us. Ash falls to the floor and shoots through the door, taking a chunk out of the deadite Cheryl's face. As Ash is barricading the door, Scott sits up from the floor, reanimated into a deadite. 
Scott attacks Ash and inadvertently knocks the Natorum DeMonto close to the fireplace as Cheryl pounds on the door. Scott grabs Ash by the neck and lifts him off the ground with one hand. Ash gouges Scott's eyes out and pulls a tree branch from Scott's stomach, causing him to bleed and fall to the ground. His body begins to smoke, and Ash notices that the corner of the Natorum Tomanto has landed in the fire. Cheryl breaks through the front door and knocks Ash to the floor. Scott sits up and grabs Ash's feet, and Cheryl picks up the fireplace poker. Ash gropes for Linda's necklace, which is formed into the shape of a skull on the floor, Joe. Nice little detail. Nice little detail there. He uses the necklace to try and rope the Natorum DeMonto as Cheryl beats him in the back with a poker and Scotty bites onto his leg. Ash manages to snag the book with the necklace and he grabs it and throws it into the fireplace. While the book burns, the deadites freeze in place, then begin to rapidly decompose, melting into hideous puddles of slime and goo. The book grows eyes and a tongue with slurps around its face as it burns. Yeah, that was wild. It's just eyes and a tongue like sprout from the book and it just starts like licking around its face. Real yeah, and this fire is fucking badass. Real gross. So then as these bodies are like lifeless and decomposing. Yeah, they're like melting. Kind yeah, of. and giant clawed hands burst from both corpses. Uh, covering ash and blood and chunks of viscera as Cheryl's body crashes to the ground. Cockroaches and snakes crawl out of where Scotty's head used to be as ash moans in agony on the floor. The demonic voice calls out, join us, join us, as the bodies of Scott and Cheryl completely decompose. Dawn breaks and the birds sing as ash stumbles outside. As ash walks away from the cabin, POV of an unseen demon moves rapidly through the forest, rushing through the cabin and attacks him as he screams in terror. And then we cut to black old timey jazz music plays and the credits roll. And that's the film, Joe. Yeah. At the end of the credits, you can just hear the sound of flies buzzing. Oh, really? Which just makes it even more disturbing. God damn. We don't know how, you know, exactly the, 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 the fate uh, turns out for Ash. You know, but we do know, you know, because we are in the future that he is not dead and there are there are several more movies to come. Yeah, there's uh, two sequels and then a series. Correct. And uh, and a bunch of other stuff, too. Yeah. Games and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Fan art. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This thing it really has like a life of its own. But yeah, that's the movie. And man, lots to talk about here. I have a, a ton of notes, like mostly just from. Like there was so much just on Wikipedia that I didn't even have to really like I had so many pages. I didn't even really go to many other sources. That's great. But uh, yeah, most of the cast like uh, didn't really go on to like uh, a whole lot. You know, I think Betsy Baker has the most acting credits uh, okay. out of any of them. Worked at a lot of Sam Raimi stuff. Same with Ellen Sandwich. And that's Linda. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Linda and Cheryl. Yeah. But uh, Bruce Campbell is. uh you know, he is the probably the best known from this series. Uh, he's an American actor and director, best known for the role of Ash J. Williams in the Evil Dead series. Mm. Uh, as an actor, Campbell has also appeared in Maniac Cop, Bubba Hotep, Congo, The Hudsucker Proxy, McHale's Navy, John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., The X-Files. Uh, he was Autolycus. The King of Thieves in uh, Hercules Legendary Journeys and Xena Warrior Princess. Nice. He was Sam Axe in Burn Notice, um, among dozens of other uh, movie and TV roles. Yes. Uh, he's also done notable cameos in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy uh, and in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That's great. 
So hang on now. I'm sorry. Sam Raimi did the Spider-Man tr- uh, trilogy? Yes, the director of Evil Dead did the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Wow, that's incredible. Right? Yeah. Uh, you can see like little things that are very like in his style. Mm, interesting. I'll have to give him a rewatch. Yeah. I mean, Spider-Man 3 is a very bad movie. Yeah, that was the one where he kind of... Uh, uh, you know, wasn't his best work. No, but one and two is fun. Yeah. I like the first two as well. I haven't seen the Dr. Strange movie, but I heard it's okay. Yeah. Uh, um, Bruce Campbell also, uh, directed, uh, TV episodes as well as the slapstick horror comedy, the man with the screaming brain and the self parodying. My name is Bruce right on in which he plays himself. Cool. Uh, I mean, like he gets like, uh, this small town brings him into like fight uh, demons or something hell yeah a lot of jokes about bean curd it's weird okay uh he is the author of the new york times best-selling uh autobiography if chins could kill confessions of a b-movie actor uh sequel hail to the chin further confessions of a b-movie actor and the comedy novel make love the bruce campbell way wonderful yeah a lot of chin references yeah well you notice he's got a very prominent chin he's kind of got a leno chin yeah and it gets even more like when he gets all jacked in the sequels it's even more noticeable that's great he's also a very popular guest and speaker at horror movie conventions i'm sure uh he's i think he's probably considered the greatest you know one of the greatest living b-movie actors for sure yeah uh He's got a really unique thing going. It's just crazy that it took me this long to see this movie because he, he's clearly been referenced in so many different films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The evil. Like, I mean, when I just think back of our previous episodes. There are so many Evil Dead references throughout just the movies we've already covered. Mm-hmm. And it just was really influential on just about anybody who made a horror movie since it came out. Yeah. And he's really good. He, it's funny because he's like a he's kind of like a, a comedic face, you know, like his expressions are, and I'm sure they, I have a feeling that they lean into that a little more in the next movies. Cause I feel like I've seen screenshots where he kind of has that, he uses that face a lot more, his expressions. Oh yeah. Well, uh, cause they're very funny. Yeah. And you know, like the first one is like, I would say almost a straight up horror movie with a few like funny moments. Right. Uh, and then when you get to evil dead two, it's like one of the, it's like sort of like a requel. Like they sort of recap the first movie and like a simplified version mm. and then take it further. Mm-hmm. And that one is like uh kind of a slapstick horror comedy. And, um, that's just way more like action. I watched it. It was a while since I watched it and I, you watch evil dead two and it's like, it gets not even five minutes in and it's just into like mayhem. Yeah. Uh, and then army of darkness, the third one is in another genre or another mix of genres where it becomes like a slapstick action, comedy, horror, medieval fantasy Mm. thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I love all three movies. It's like, it's great because there's like an evil dead movie for different moods. That's great. If you want to go like real hardcore and serious, you got the first one. If you want like the mix, you got evil dead two. And then if you want to just go like in a straight over the top, like almost like borderline parody, uh, there's army of darkness. And then I like that a lot. I like when movies switch genres a little bit. Um, you know, kind of like the way the alien movies did early on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the second one. I mean, this movie does because, because it it leaves on, I mean, it's, it's more of a cliffhanger because 
now a little open ended. It's open ended. It's definitely an op- a, a more of a cliffhanger now that we know that he lives, you know, but the movie kind mm-hmm. of implies like, yeah, he could have just died right then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now I'm like really excited to see the second one. Yeah. I, I think uh, with most of the movies we've done, like I really want to space the sequels out to do other stuff in between. But with these, I'm thinking like, I don't know, we might get to these in like, you know, two or three episodes. Sure. Yeah. Cause they're, they're just so different. And so like uh, they, they're all worth like uh, worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Or sometimes like some of the sequels to some of these other movies are just kind of like lesser versions of the original. I like that this movie has been referenced so much because it's such an important movie in cinema, mm-hmm. toughen up a little bit and, and check it out. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. You know, it's like uh, there are some that are just, yeah, like you said, like such big parts of the culture. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of like if you haven't seen Star Wars or The Godfather or Jaws or something, you know, mm-hmm. or just like any like really iconic movie that kind of defined like I feel like Evil Dead almost set the tone for 80s horror. Mm-hmm. You know, they started production in like 1980 and then it was released in 81 and like 82 and it was kind of like uh, I actually listened to Quentin Tarantino talking about it. And he said that, like, everything was just different after this movie came out. It's kind of like Night of the Living Dead, where it's just like, all right, the game has changed now. And he said, like, as soon as it came out, everything else felt like dated. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though it's like super low budget and gritty and a lot of people like sort of don't get it for that reason. Right. Right. Like because, you know, it was shot on 16 millimeter for like a budget of just over three hundred thousand dollars, you know, by basically like film students. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that it's one that people should check out. Yeah, for sure. So we're just going to go through kind of the process that led to it. Uh, so with the background uh, for Evil Dead was uh, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Robert Tappert were able to raise $90,000 to begin production on the movie. Uh, the total budget was eventually 375000 Okay. They didn't get it all at once. And they like, you know, they used within the woods, like the short they made as kind of like to present to investors. Like, I think at one point they got, they got a bunch of dentists together. Dentists? Yeah. A bunch of dentists. And like, they gave them like, you know, wow, 2,500 or 1,800, whatever they could invest, you know, whatever they yeah, would use yeah. for like, you know, the stock market or over that year, they convinced them to put it into the movie. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. The film was inspired by the fiction of HP Lovecraft. Uh, that's where the Necronomicon comes from. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty Lovecraftian in general without being like a direct adaptation of one of his stories or books like reanimator or something else right 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 so principal photography uh began at a small cabin in the woods of morristown tennessee uh the production was an extremely difficult and uncomfortable process for the cast and crew when it was completed they would, it was screened at the con uh con film festival can film festival can film festival yeah I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, like I know, but I have no idea. I think that's how they pronounce it. Uh, it got rave reviews from Stephen King in particular, uh, uh, which resulted in New Line Cinema securing the, the distribution rights. Uh, film was a critical and commercial success and spawned a franchise, including uh, two direct sequels by Raimi, a 2013 reboot, comic books, video games, another upcoming sequel. I'll get more into that actually later. Uh, one thing that really sticks out about it is that the character, uh, Ash Williams has become a cultural icon and, uh, which is really significant because there are almost no notable heroes from the horror genre that became like as iconic as Ash did. Right. Right. There's some like notable, you know, final girls and characters from slasher movies and stuff, but Ash is like, is like on another level with like how just pervasive and how like how many people like have loved that character so much and like kind of run with it, which is crazy. You know, you, 
wouldn't guess it having only watched this movie and known and, and like know nothing else about the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's why another reason why I'm like really eager to see the next ones because, you know, cause I know that he becomes like this com- very different type of person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's definitely like the ash from evil dead Two and army of darkness. That is like the ca- the one that people generally think of. Right. Cause in the first one, he is just pretty like standard, like, you know, college kid in a survival situation. Well, he's very relatable. You know, he's, he, he does a great job of, of reacting to all these things the way that probably any of us would, you know, it's like, he's, mm-hmm. he's very cowardly. He's very, you know, he's shaking the whole time. He doesn't want to like use an ax on any of his friends. He doesn't want to shoot anybody. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's very much like it, it feels very, re- it feels very realistic because he doesn't do anything crazy until like near the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which by crazy, I just mean killing these demons. Yeah. And it's like, at that point he really has no choice at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty cool evolution and it's like, uh, I don't know if I actually saw the original first. I think I might've seen army of darkness first, which is a weird thing. Like to watch them in backwards order. Sure. Yeah. Cause it was, yeah. You like, I think I watched army of darkness and I was like, Oh weird. Like in this first one, Ash is like kind of a wuss. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's totally. just like frightened and scared. Kind of super goofball, scared. You know, he hasn't like plucked his unibrow yet, <laughs> which I like from a lead man. You know, it's like, you just don't see that often. You see eventually like by the, by the middle of the movie, they've they've kind of like they've become a much more brave mm-hmm. you know and they just start like killing shit you know yeah but he's really just fucking shaking in his boots throughout the entire film yeah and it's really like sky who kind of starts out more brave mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. yeah that it's you know one of the things that, one of the many things that's great about this whole franchise um some stuff on the pre-production uh so the crew for evil dead consisted almost entirely of sam raimi's friends and family uh, Betsy Baker, who uh, was Linda, was cast from an uh, ad placed in a local newspaper, and she she had them meet her at an Italian restaurant. Like she, she was like, uh, wasn't sure about these people before she got involved with it. Mm-hmm. But sure. then, uh, you know, once she met the guys, she realized they were like uh, kind of goofballs who really loved the Three Stooges a whole lot. Oh, right on. Uh, Ellen Sandweiss appeared in Within the Woods, which is the short they used to. Uh, you know, pitch the movie. There was no formal location scout. So the cast had to find uh, filming locations on their own. Mm. Uh, Sam Raimi initially wanted to shoot in his hometown of Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, but Morristown, Tennessee was chosen because Tennessee was the only state that expressed any level of enthusiasm for the project. Interesting. Nobody wanted this movie. Wow. The Tennessee was like, well, we'll take it. No, people aren't exactly fighting to get movies made in Tennessee. Right. Uh, so during pre-production, and I think during a lot of the production, 13 crew members had to sleep in the cabin, uh, leading to people sleeping in the same room. Uh, and the place had like no heat, no hot water. Living conditions were notoriously difficult, leading to several fights breaking out between the cast and crew. And let's see, uh, there was a carpenter and art director, Steve Frankel. He had to uh, construct a few elaborate props of the circular saw, but otherwise the cabin was left pretty much as they found it. Okay. Uh, uh and what, what time of the year was it it's probably like it was in the fall and like you said it was the fall okay yeah. yeah so the first day they shot it was like 65 degrees out hmm. and it was uh you know a daytime shot and then the rest of it was all at night and they had a record cold snap in tennessee that lasted 15 weeks so it was always 35 degrees Fuck. or below 
that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was brutal. Uh, let's see. So some stuff about the actual production. Uh, the film was shot on Kodak 16 millimeter uh, in a production that was described by Bruce Campbell as a comedy of errors. Some of the crew got lost in the woods while shooting a scene near the bridge, and many were injured during the shoot. Because of the cabin's remote locations, securing medical assistance was difficult. Uh, one particularly gruesome moment involved Betsy Baker's eyelashes being ripped out during the removal of her face mask. God damn. Yeah. God damn it. I am amazed how, I mean, I just like, you know, I, we've talked about it a little bit, but like, I'm just amazed by how, just how terribly the actors are treated, you know, not like yeah. intentionally, obviously, but the kind of shit they have to go through is just insane. Dude. Yeah. They're put through some fucking awful shit. Like a lot of them described it as like a boot camp or like a fucking, mm-hmm. just an ordeal. Crazy, dude. So I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but to, to achieve the demonic eyes effect, the the cast were forced to wear thick plastic contact lenses uh, described by Bruce Campbell as putting Tupperware over their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these lenses took 10 minutes to apply and can only be worn for 15 minutes at a time without damaging the actor's eyes. Crazy. They were Crazy, like, dude. You know, they were made from plastic, so they weren't breathable and like they were just a fucking nightmare. The production couldn't afford a camera dolly. So in order to accommodate Raimi's directing style, several low-budget camera rigs had to be built. Uh, these rigs included a Vaso cam, which relied on a mounted camera slid down a long wooden platform to cre- create a sense of motion. Wow. Uh, and then a shaky cam, which uh, instead of a steady cam, which uh, basically they mounted the camera on like a piece of wood, and then they just had uh, camera operators sprinting through the woods like with this camera attached to this wood plank just carrying it like a fucking stretcher or something yeah yeah and like having to like run through the woods like jumping over logs and rocks and tripping in the mist and stuff wow uh and then for the final shot the camera was mounted to a bicycle and ridden through the cabin to create a seamless long take uh but i did think that like that uh the running through the woods thing like it's some of the coolest shots in those movies are just like that POV camera flying through the woods. Totally. Yeah. And it gets more intense in the sequels too. Sam Raimi was a big fan of the three stooges growing up, which inspired him to use what uh, he referred to as fake shemps because apparently there's a, I forget which three stooges movie it was, but I think his name was Shemp Howard. Hmm. Uh, one of the stooges died before it was completed. Wow. So they just had to use like uh, basically body doubles and like just shoot him from behind and all these like weird things to to complete the movie damn without him uh so yeah like you know sometimes sam raimi would be like his hand in the shot instead of like scott's or bruce campbell's or just like random people were just like right random crew members are like dressed in the wardrobe of the other characters and like shot kind of in the background wow oh one wild thing is that uh on set uh, Raimi reportedly enjoyed torturing his actors. That's fun. Stating that, uh, yeah, if everyone was in extreme pain and misery, that would translate into horror. Yes, yes. Uh, Robert Tappert said that uh, Raimi enjoys when an actor bleeds. Mm. Uh, there's a during a scene where Bruce Campbell ran down a hill. Uh, he tripped and injured his leg, and Raimi reportedly enjoyed poking Campbell's injured leg with a stick. <laughs> 
believing that in order to capture the pain and anger in his actors, he had to abuse them a little at times. Sure, sure. I mean, but they were what? Childhood friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, that one, that makes a little sense. Yeah, was, you know, it was a case where you could get away with it, I guess. And I, know, I don't know, I as, as like, you know, when I think about being an actor, I'm like, you know, part of it is it's part of the job, you know, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't mind getting too dirty or fucked up, but. It's weird when the directors are like, yes, I fucking love this, dude. Oh, yeah, right? It's like a little uh, sadistic. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, copious amount of fake blood used in the film was created using gallons of uh, caro corn syrup, uh, which was sticky and apparently took hours to get off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess at one point, Bruce Campbell's shirt was so soaked with it that he took it off and set it outside and then it hardened and like just started to break apart. Yeah. Uh, during the last few days on set, conditions had become so bad that the crew began burning furniture to stay warm. Damn, dude. And since only exterior shots were left, they ended up near- burning nearly all of the furniture in the cabin. Wow. Uh, several of the actors went days without showering, and because of the freezing conditions, several caught colds and other illnesses. They apparently were not getting any sleep, too, because it was all night shoots. Fuck. Bruce Campbell uh, described the shoot as nearly 12 weeks of a mirthless exercise in agony. Although he says he did manage to have some fun on the set. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, it was wild. And like, I think I remember reading that like they didn't have safety glass. So it was just real glass shattering. And wow. Yeah. Just like uh, chaotic, wild shit that you just could not really get away with today. About the editing. Uh, the film was edited by Edna Paul, who was assisted by Joel Cohen, uh, who is now known as one half of the Cohen brothers. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Rami was like, uh, he actually was involved in with both Coen brothers like early on. Wow. They kind of were like sort of protégés of his. Um, Edna Paul edited the majority of the footage while uh, Joel Cohen was responsible for the iconic shed sequence with all those like uh, cuts and stuff. Mm. And that, you know, became part of Rami's signature style and has been copied many times in films like Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead, as we already mentioned. Uh, the original cut of the film ran 117 minutes, but was cut down to 85 minutes, removing footage of the main characters lamenting not being able to save their friends uh, in order to make the film more marketable and less grim and depressing. Damn, it's already pretty grim. Can you imagine it being even more of a bummer? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, do they have a director's cut? I don't think so. I've never heard. Yeah, I think they just decided they didn't want to use the that footage. Yeah, the uh, the film stop motion sequences of the bodies decomposing were extremely intricate, and the sound uh, required extensive recording from the crew because there's all kinds of crazy sound in this movie mm-hmm. uh they use dead chickens uh and they stab them to create the sounds of mutilated flesh sure and uh bruce campbell had to spend several hours screaming into a microphone <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the film also had to be blown up from 16 to 35 millimeter to be shown in theaters some stuff about the promotion and distribution. Uh, Detroit's Redford Theater, which Bruce Campbell often attended as a child, was chosen for the premiere. Uh, in order to make the experience as theatrical as possible, uh, Ramey used custom tickets and wind tracks uh, set in the theater, which I, I don't know. I assume that's just like the sound of like wind blowing or something. Sure. Or yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. They had fans. I don't know. Uh, and that was inspired by director William Castle, who often used gimmicks at his screenings to scare the audience. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I wish you'd see more of that now. Like when you heard they totally said they bought like 300 fog machines for the premiere of the fog, like that'd be fun. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that would be all aw- I'd like because I love that like immersive theater aspect. Yeah, I, I say cool. more of that stuff. You know, some gimmicks are fun. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the film was eventually picked up for distribution by Irvin Shapiro, who had experience distributing Night of the Living Dead and other horror films, and he was also a founder of the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Shapiro felt the original title, Book of the Dead, was boring and that nobody would go see a movie they thought was about reading. So that's when he suggested the name The Evil Dead, which was chosen as the least worst available option. Great. Movie was screened at the 1982 Cannes Festival where Stephen King was in attendance. Uh, He gave the movie a rave review, calling it the most ferociously original film of the year and stating that he had registered things he had never seen in a movie before. Uh, He went on to call Evil Dead his fifth favorite horror film in the genre, and his comments at the time attracted a lot of critics who would have likely otherwise dismissed the movie. That's great. So the attention from uh, King and Irvin Shapiro, as well as several articles in Fangoria, generated a lot of interest in the film, which was eventually picked up by New Line Cinema and released uh, theatrically and on VHS at the same time, which was a a weird thing. Wow. As far as ratings, uh, The Evil Dead is known as one of the most notorious splatter films of the 80s, along with movies like Cannibal Holocaust and I Spit on Your Grave. In the UK... 49 minutes had to be edited from the film in order to receive an X rating and uh, pressure from the pro censorship NVLA led to the film being labeled a video nasty. Uh, And when the video recordings act was passed in 1984, the video version was pulled from stores. Wow. It was basically banned in the year 2000. The uncut film was finally granted an 18 certificate for cinema and home video release. Uh, in the U.S., the film also received an X rating, which is usually reserved for films that are extremely violent and disturbing or uh, pornographic in nature. Mm-hmm. It has since been re-rated NC-17 for substantial graphic horror, violence, and gore. Yeah. Generally, it was released unre- uh, unrated on home video. Uh, it's still banned theatrically or on video in some countries. Wow. I think like in Iran and some other places like you, you know, sure. the movie is illegal. Yeah. I mean, you know, not surprising, not surprising. If there's going to be a movie that is not allowed to be shown, uh, this one, this one kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely, definitely is a good candidate for that. Also, mm-hmm. uh, watched necromantic last night on the last drive in Valentine's day special. Okay. Holy shit. That was a punishment of a movie to watch, but I could, that's one other one that I could see could be banned. That fuck. cannibal Holocaust too. Yeah. Fuck that movie. Makes sense. Yeah. We're going to do that one eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so critical response to the film, uh, which uh, referred to itself in its own credits as the ultimate experience in grueling horror uh, was largely positive with reviewers calling it an instant classic and probably the grisliest well-made movie ever. Uh, Bob Martin, who was editor of Fangoria, stated, since I started editing this magazine, I have not seen any new film that I could recommend to our readers with more confidence that it would be loved, embraced, and hailed as a new milestone in graphic horror. Wow. Uh, European critics compared the film to the surreal works of Georges Franjou and Jean Cocteau, noting that its use of black comedy elevated it above the usual genre trappings and cinephilic references uh to cocteau's orpheus uh were part of it uh like with a part where the mirror turns to liquid that was taken out of uh jean cocteau's orpheus which is like a french new wave film from the 50s yeah that was badass that was a cool shot modern critics have maintained their enthusiasm for the film with slant slant magazine's ed gonzalez comparing the film to uh dario argento's work and stating that Raimi had a quote almost unreal ability to suggest the presence of intangible evil. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I think he really did. You know, he took it a step up from like the exorcist, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more intense than the exorcist. I mean, you could say, 
The Exorcist might be more uh, of a a chilling horror, mm. um, but in terms of like, uh, it's just got all that Catholic, yeah, Catholicism that makes it feel sort of real if you were raised in that. Yeah, that too. But also, it's a kid. You know, it's a child mm. demon, which I think is just scarier. There's a lot of like really ear. I mean the the crawling down the stairs scene. I mean like the, the yeah. spitting up the things that she says. I mean like the the levitating on the bed. I mean there's just so many things in that film that are like truly horrifying. Uh yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, this one is a little more fun, even though more it's fun, pretty hardcore. But you could argue probably more violent. Mm-hmm. But way more violent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So as far as the legacy of the movie, uh, the Evil Dead spawned a media empire as well as launching and defining the careers of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, uh, who is known as one of the greatest B-movie actors of all time. Two would go on to collaborate continuously throughout their extensive careers. Uh, there have been two sequels, a reboot slash remake in 2013, uh, as well as the upcoming sequel, Evil Dead Rise, which I think is out in April. Cool. Uh, and then there is the TV series, uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, which aired from 2015 to 2018. And had uh, you know Bruce Campbell reprise his role as Ash once again. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah, maybe we should just do uh, in the next. Uh, bless you. But maybe in the next few weeks, you know, building up to April, we should cover the at least the uh, the next two. Uh, yeah, I'd be down for that. You want to do them like every other episode or something? Yeah, that might be cool. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, a video game titled The Evil Dead that was released uh, for the Commodore 64 in 1984. Wow. Uh, and since the early 2000s, there have been a series of video games released under the titles Evil Dead Hail to the King, Evil Dead A Fistful of Boomstick, Evil Dead Regeneration, and the most recent one, uh, Evil Dead The Game, was released in 2020. I'd be down to play something like that. Yeah, that one has uh, Hal Delrich. I forget his real name, but him his doing the voice of scotty in that one and i think uh either shelly or linda nice came back for that which is cool uh there have been multiple comic book adaptations and spin-offs featuring the character ashley j williams uh in the comics ash has battled freddy krueger and jason Voorhees and herbert west in the titles freddy versus jason versus ash and army of darkness versus reanimator uh he faces the undead in marvel zombies versus the army of darkness and he saves the life of President Barack Obama in Army of Darkness, Ash Saves Obama. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since the film's release, uh, the cabin in Morristown, Tennessee, it was often visited by trespassing fans and it was eventually burned down by drunken trespassers in uh, 1982. Fuck uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing left is the chimney, which was not actually part of the original cabin, but I guess Bruce Campbell's dad built it, I think. Oh, all right. uh, and so people still go there and they take, uh, you know, like stones and bricks from the remains of the chimney. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do whatever you guys want. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking dicks. <laughs> fucking assholes. Uh, yeah. That was somebody's, it was like somebody's cabin too. It's like somebody's hunting cabin that they own. <laughs> wow. But you know, it happens, I guess. The kids like to set things on fire is something I've noticed. Yeah. It was only built in the sixties too. So at least it wasn't like a historic cabin that got burned down. Right. Right. Uh, but that's, I think all I have for this one in terms of notes, uh, getting nice. to the, the superlatives a little bit. Great. Pretty easy for this one. Yeah. Not many characters. Yeah. So, uh, for best kill, it was, uh, for me, it was a toss up between uh dead eye Linda being decapitated with the shovel, even though she's still kind of alive after that. 
Right, right. And, uh, you know, Deadite Shelly getting chopped up with the axe. Yeah, I'm going to go with the axe, the, mm-hmm. the chopped up, because uh, it's just funny to see all of her body parts twitching on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> I probably had never seen anything like that before in a movie. No, definitely not. I think it was kind of like, you know, Night of the Living Dead, like nobody had ever seen like anyone actually eating guts before. No, yeah, totally. Fear meter for this one, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Some people might go higher. Uh, fear meter, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was fucking, I was tense throughout most of this movie. So I would probably go 8, 8 to 9 with this one. Damn, yeah. It's a lot of anxiety, I think, with this. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. If you don't think you can handle the first one, you know, maybe try Evil Dead 2. Yeah, and it doesn't let up, really. No, it doesn't. Yeah, really. Yeah. It's right to the very end. Mm-hmm. Gore score, I gave it a 9 out of 10 on the Savini scale for this one. That's exactly what I was thinking. I would honestly even go as far as a 10, but uh, I think a 9 um, just because it just because it's like undead, you know, kind of supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and not just like humans being mutilated. Yeah. So I would probably hover closer to a nine, but it's, it's, it's really fucking gory. Yeah, it is. You know, it like, also it's like, uh, you know, it's pretty dated looking cause it was done very like cheaply even for the eighties. Uh, yeah, but so it's still really disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of it's more gross, mm-hmm. like the, deco- the decomposing bodies at the end and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's tons of blood, tons of, uh, yeah, decapitations, dismemberments. Definitely. People's legs being shredded. Yeah. It's a brutal one. Best performance, I you know, I think Bruce Campbell as Ash is an easy one. Uh and I also liked Ellen Samwise as Dead Eye Cheryl. I thought she was pretty good. And but you know, they were all pretty solid, I think. Yeah, everybody was great. I mean, Bruce Campbell's character rules uh but uh, yeah, I don't know. I liked Linda um as the little kid. That was really creepy. Yeah, that was that was good too. She did a good job with that. Uh, and I, the special category for this one is favorite shot. Uh, for me, you know, the possessed entity moving through the woods is just very cool. Like, I just enjoy watching that every time I see it. it never gets old. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the blood-soaked projector lens and other, any part where, like, the like, everything just covered in blood. Like, the yeah. camera lens is covered in blood. It's pretty tight. Yeah, that was awesome. I Yeah, I liked the, I liked the mirror shot. I thought that was really cool. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, I had seen that. I watched uh, Orpheus in or Orfe is called in French mm. in film school. Oh, nice. Not as good as Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else to say about Evil Dead? No, I don't think so, man. Um, I'm just excited to watch the. I'm just excited to watch the next uh, the next one. So I think uh, folks over the next few weeks going to be watching the whole the whole trilogy. I guess you'd call it. Yeah, I think uh, for next episode. I was thinking we could do John dies at the end. Great. Uh, but then, yeah, after that, we can go maybe just do evil dead and two and army of darkness back to back, or maybe we decide if we want to throw something in between. Yeah. Cause I would love to see, I would love to go and see the new evil dead in uh theaters and be all caught up. Oh there. yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be cool for the listeners too. Cause you know, hopefully some of them at least are going out and seeing these movies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you guys once again for checking out the only horror movie podcast. We know, we're your only option mm-hmm. when it comes to horror movie podcasts, but still it doesn't mean any less to us. Yeah. One day, some people will start a horror movie podcast, you know, hopefully we can inspire. Yeah. Somebody else will think of it. Yeah. But, uh, until then we will see you next time, uh, for the next episode. Bye. Later. <laughs>